You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, where we invite an expert each week to hear about their incredible journey and career paths. On today's show, we're speaking with Syra Mehta. Syra is a Senior Director of System-Wide Special Pathogens Program, who helps keep us prepared for infectious disease outbreaks of pandemic potential. This week's show is brought to you by SP Designs. I'm Fatima Al-Sayed, your mentor host. Make sure to tune in to the talk show every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Syra, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well too. I'm excited to speak to you today because you have such an interesting and rare career. Well, thank you, and, and thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm of course, it's a pleasure. <laughs> definitely share um, my insights and experience. Mm-hmm. So, can you tell us a bit about what it is you do, just to give an over um, overview of it? Sure. So, um, uh, as you stated, I'm the senior director of New York City Health and Hospitals System-wide Special Pathogens Program. Uh, New York City Health and Hospitals is the nation's largest municipal healthcare delivery system. And um, in this position, I have the privilege of um, overseeing the entire system's response as mm-hmm. a really special pathogens. And I think I want to spend kind of 30 seconds on, on the term special pathogens, because I think it's something that's, um, you know, a lot of folks are not familiar with. And yeah, so trying to break down. Yeah, so the, so the word special pathogens, um, there's no actual you know definition for it. There's a you know a set of characteristics that we can define a special pathogen, but essentially there's there's numerous synonyms for it. So you can think of high consequence infectious diseases or serious communicable diseases. Um, these are all you know highly infectious diseases that have the potential to cause you know permanent harm, um, disability, or death if you come in contact with it. And some examples of special pathogens include uh, Ebola virus disease, Marburg lots of fever, you know, you know, your, your viral hemorrhagic fevers, as well as, you know, severe respiratory diseases like MERS and, and SARS and, and other emerging and, and re-emerging infectious diseases. And so that's what we call kind of special pathogens. Um, and so in my um, current position, um, I oversee essentially the healthcare delivery response to special pathogens, essentially making sure that as a healthcare system, we are prepared to um, identify, isolate, uh, preliminarily manage, even treat, mm-hmm. Um, patients that may present with uh, these special pathogens. Okay. What did you study in school? So, um, sure. Um, so I did my master's uh, in biotech and I specialized in biodefense and biosecurity. So I, I knew kind of early on that I was very interested in kind of high consequence infectious diseases. And I can certainly talk a little bit about what led me down this path. Um, and then I did my doctorate in health science and I concentrated in global health, um, mm-hmm. again, with another eye in kind of um, infectious diseases. Because to me, I just found it so fascinating to kind of look at the you know, infectious diseases in, in a global standpoint, because you know, we are an interconnected world and um, a disease that can start in a remote village anywhere around the world can really uh, come to any continent in any country in just a matter of 36 hours. And I just mm-hmm. so fascinating. So what, what caught your interest about this? Like, why did, why did you decide that this is the career that you wanted to go into? Sure. So I think my story probably starts when I was about, you know, nine or 10 years old and um, the movie Outbreak um, was released. Um, mm-hmm. I am one of uh, five um, children. Um, uh, and so I have, you know, older brothers and sisters and, you know, they would put on these very interesting movies. And so I remember when I was about nine, 10 years old, when this movie came out, uh, the movie was essentially about, you know, a airborne virus um, that started in a monkey and then in, in a remote village, in a, in a, uh, 
town in California and kind of quickly spread. Um, and so when I was watching this movie with my siblings, I was just so extremely intrigued of, you know, just just how um, lethal, you know, infectious diseases are. And that was probably my, my first uh, introduction to, you know, high consequence infectious diseases. And I think what was, uh, what really grabbed my attention was kind of the bubble suits that they wear, right? So, um, so the, the um, PAPRs or the, the um, um, purified, um, powered air purifying respirators and, and the coveralls and, and the gloves and everything, I just found that so fascinating. And so, so my, my journey essentially began, um, you know, when I was about nine, 10 years old, and then I essentially progressed from there. Um, you know, I started to um, kind of read additional books about it, trying mm-hmm. to kind of get some more information of what exactly are high consequence infectious diseases and what can they do to, you know, civilization. Um, and I think, you know, my, my next kind of big, uh, you know, step towards this field was um, in uh, middle school. Um, I had a, a teacher who recommended that I read the, the book Hot Zone. Um, it's, a, it's a book by Richard Preston. And again, it's mm-hmm. viral hemorrhagic fevers um, that, you know, some stories that, that actually happened. Um, and it was, it was extremely interesting to me. I think one thing that I still remember uh, to this day, you know, many, many years later was kind of this sentence that I read in the book of uh, when they were describing um, Ebola virus disease um, mm-hmm. and the, the term that the military um, often used for patients that were infected with um, Ebola virus disease was, you know, crash and be- bleed out. So like they're essentially bleeding from from inside and, and you know, from bleeding from every orifice of the body. Uh, but when you obviously think about Ebola, that technically, you know, when you look at the disease, that, that, that really isn't... Um, an actual manifestation mm-hmm. of it, um, depending on the, the strain that you're in. But I just, you know, I caught that that sentence and it was just so interesting to me. And, you know, kind of from there on, it was just, you know, more and more of, you know, what are high consequence infectious diseases. Mm-hmm. And I think what really solidified uh, me pursuing, you know, um, you know, biodefense, biosecurity and, and just special pathogens was um, I had the privilege of touring a top secret a military facility, so USAMBRID, um, which uh, essentially um, stands for the United States Army's Medical Research um, Institute for Infectious Diseases. It's located um, in Maryland. And they- How old were you at the time? Um, I, I think I just started college at that time. Oh, okay. Remember exactly, um, you know, what year in college, but I was definitely an undergrad. Um, and um, I had the privilege of, of touring this facility um, and with, with a couple of other students. Um, and I remember they took us into um, this place called the Slammer. And the Slammer is essentially, you know, a three bed um, biocontainment unit, if you will. And any worker that may um, become infected or potentially, you know, exposed to a highly infectious disease that they were working with in this research facility, they would put this patient in. And I remember, you know, just standing next to, you know, outside the biocontainment unit, getting a tour. They also brought us inside, you know, it's obviously completely decon. Um, and then they, they had a list of folks that, that were, you know, in the slammer at any point. And I think that from then on, I was like, this is, this is exactly what I want to do. I just found it so fascinating. Um, and, 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 you know, kind of, that's really where my journey um, started, if you will. And, and I started pursuing an active career towards it. Mm-hmm. So you said that, what struck your interest was movies. How did you find the reality of working <laughs> as, <laughs> you know, on the job rather than what you were reading before when you were nine years old? Uh, I, I was, it's, it's very different, um, you yeah. know, when, when you're in it versus when you see it um, on television. I think that, you know, when you see it on television, you think, oh, this is so cool. And they get to wear these amazing, you know, hazmat like suits and, and they're, you know, helping mankind and this and that. But then when you're really in it, this is when really your nerves kick in and, and you think, you know, 
I have a family, you know, I have parents, I have kids. And um, what is the risk of, of me potentially getting in, exposed? Um, mm-hmm. And this is real life. Um, like this is. Yep. Yeah. And, and then you also think about, you know, versus, you know, this is something that, you know, I feel very strongly in, in doing, you know, helping, um, you know, uh, mankind, if you will, helping, you know, my fellow peers, helping, you know, just fellow citizens of, of this country. I think that, you know, everything, so whether you're, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, an attorney, you know, you want to make a difference in the world, and you want to help mm-hmm. as much as you can. And I think this is really my way of trying to, to better this world. Um, and so, you know, I, I chose this field because I feel very strongly in it. I feel very strongly in preparing for special pathogens, preparing for infectious disease outbreaks, preparing for, you know, the next pandemic that may come knocking um, at our doors. And, and so um, kind of, you know, having all those kind of feelings go through you when you think, you know, when you're in that type of environment, I, you know, it's, 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 it's nerve wracking, but it's extremely rewarding. It's, it's certainly an adrenaline rush um, at times. I can, I can say that. Have you been in a position where you've had to make that decision of going into somewhere that could potentially be a danger? Um, yeah, so uh, I think probably um, the most uh, interesting experience um, was um, so during the Ebola outbreak that started in, um, uh, you know, in uh, West Africa back in mm-hmm. 2014. Um, I was in uh, Texas at that time. I was working for the Texas Department of State Health Services, and um, I was working for the bio threat and chemical threat team as a state trainer um, in the laboratory support services. um, It was, uh, you know, the bio threat team um, that actually received, um, you know, the first uh, samples of the confirmed patients um, that that started in Texas. So the the very first patient that uh, was diagnosed with Ebola virus disease in U.S. soil, and unfortunately, the the two nurses that followed. Um, And so um, I was part of that bio threat team. Um, I was part of the surge team because after the first case came up positive, obviously there was a number of patients that were tested and we needed more people um, and, you know, more hands on deck. Um, and mm-hmm. so with that, um, you know, kind of going into the uh, BSL-3, the biosafety level three, and kind of, you know, wearing the whole bubble suit, if you will, you know, the whole hazmat suit. Um, <laughs> like the ones you see in the movies. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and and so, you know, I was, I was heavily involved uh, with that. Um, mm-hmm. It's an amazing experience, you know, for, for me, um, for that particular, you know, incident. I mean, there's many other experiences I can certainly talk about, but I think that's probably the, the one that um, was probably the, the most interesting in a sense where there was um, a lot of uh, sequelae, if you will, a lot of signature, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, you know, healthcare workers and, or folks that were involved in, in that particular outbreak, whether you were in Texas or you, whether you were in Africa, whether you were in New York, you know, anywhere where you had um, either a confirmed patient, suspected patient, or even handling of anything that had Ebola virus disease, there was a lot of uh, stigmatization of those healthcare workers. And I certainly felt it um, personally, as well as uh, professionally of just the fear factor that kicks into some people, you know, when they know that you're part of this team, when they know that you were in the environment with potential Ebola, they're scared to come near you, you know? And so I've had, you know, experiences where people didn't want to come near me because they thought that, you know, I may spread Ebola. Same thing with my <laughs> team, uh, the, 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 uh, the team that I was working with, they certainly, mm-hmm. you know, had a similar experience. Um, even on a personal level, my I remember my father calling me and saying, you know, I, I really would like you to quit your job. This is this is not worth it. And, you know, if you get you know infected and, you know, there's seeing what's happening on on TV, you know, in the news, you know, constantly saying, you know, Ebola on U.S. shores. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of fear pandemic. at the time. Exactly. So, 
So trying to balance kind of um, all of that um, and then still kind of continuing on your, your line of work, your line of duty, if you will. Um, you know, I, I think that was probably the, the most interesting experience um, related to kind of my, my career in special pathogens so far. What helped you to get through that and just keep going with, uh, you know, what you wanted to do? What so, helped you to decide, you know, to still go into that room and still do your job? I think that the biggest... Um, you know, support that I had was my husband. Um, he has been, you know, extremely, extremely supportive in everything and anything that mm-hmm. I do. Um, you know, I had a discussion with him before I even agreed to do this. Um, you know, I told him this is what's happening. He knew what's happening. Um, he knew that this is something that I wanted to do. Um, he knew this is my field of, you know, uh, of, of expertise, if you will. Um, and he trust, he trusted me uh, in, in being in this type of environment. I mean, that's not to say, you know, um, he didn't ask me to, you know, take off my clothes in the garage before I, I came into the house, uh, <laughs> you know, in the BSL-3. I won't say if it's true or not, but, um, you know, so he certainly had his own fear and then and he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's justified to that. Uh, but he, he was extremely supportive. I think that if he did not want me to be part of it, um, I I probably would not um, have uh, been part of that particular mm-hmm. experience um, because, you know, I mean, he's, he's my partner and um, I would of want course. to be comfortable in whatever I do. So let's talk a bit about how you started off and how you got to where you are now. Um, after finishing university, what did you start working? Um, I'll be very candid. I have to go back to my my CV and see what uh, what I did. Um, I feel like it's just everything is a bit of a haze. So I think as soon as um, I think I, as soon as I started, you know, um, finished my a bachelor's and, and master's some, somewhere in between, I, I started to work um, at the USDA, the United States um, Department of Agriculture as a mm-hmm. scientist. And so this was kind of my foot into the door of kind of looking at the um, laboratory side of infectious diseases. And, and I got experience in you know, cloning um, genes and, and, and things like that in the agriculture mm-hmm. setting. Um, and then uh, from there, you know, uh, I moved on um, to, um, you know, other, other fields. Um, like, for example, I started teaching mm-hmm. um, various institutions, um, undergraduate and, and graduate programs. Um, I started teaching about defense and biosecurity. So, so teaching students about, about terrorism, about select agents, about infectious diseases, how they could be used for nefarious purposes, whether intentional or unintentional and, and kind of that, that whole realm. Um, of it. Um, and then, you know, in my experience um, with Texas, and, you know, as, as part of the biothreat and chemical threat team, mm-hmm. um, kind of all progressed from there. And, and now I'm in the, obviously, the hospital sector and in, in hospital preparedness, um, ensuring that our, our front lines, you know, which, are, which is our healthcare delivery system, um, we are prepared um, as much as possible for being able to detect, you know, um, patients that, that may mm-hmm. come these types of uh, highly infectious diseases and how to protect them and how to protect those around them. Mm-hmm. Do you know anyone in the same field as you? So anyone um, who, while you were growing, like, you know, getting into the field? So unfortunately, no. So, so special pathogens. So the field I am in is really a, a very subspecialty in kind of the whole realm of public health. So when mm-hmm. you think also, it's defined as obviously the science and art of preventing disease and promoting health and, and so on and so forth. And there's many different fields in public health. You have environmental sciences, epidemiology, public policy, behavioral health. And special pathogens is one that really didn't exist, um, you know, on paper per se. Um, but I think 
because of you know all the the various highly infected these outbreaks and then it started to obviously you know you, you started having more pop-ups and, and more news coverage of it you started mm-hmm. hearing more people going into this type of field so i actually did not know anybody that was in this particular field um you know besides obviously reading about it um and, and reading about people that were in it i i personally never really spoke to anybody in it until i was actually in the field myself and then i i grew to develop a very vast network um from the local state national and international mm-hmm. perspective so you know i work closely with you know, public health departments, with the CDC, with the federal government, as well as mm-hmm. national organizations. Um, and so now my work network is extremely vast, but I think uh, if you ask me, do I know of another Pakistani American <laughs> that's in it? Um, I don't, and it's unfortunate because I would like obviously more folks to be in this field because I certainly feel strongly mm-hmm. about it because I know there's a need for it, um, that more people need to be in this type of field um, in, in preparedness and, and helping uh, to ensure that um, we either we, we prevent, reduce, mitigate, and respond to really the, the next pandemic that, that may come. Um, and then there's things that we do day to day to ensure that. So we, we definitely need more people in this field. So what resources or advice um, do you have for people who, let's say, are interested and want to know more? Sure. So I think um, certainly talk to people that are in this field. So um, I actually I get uh, emails all the time from high school students. Um, you know, I, I go talk at various events, uh, talk to folks, um, whether they're in high school or even early on in the career of, you know, um, what I do and if it's something of interest to them. So I, I do a lot of that kind of community outreach because I want more folks to be in it. But there's, I mean, other folks in it as well. So certainly talk to people that you may know, um, read more about it. And I think really the, the best way to kind of know if this is for you is really doing some sort of a, an internship, if you will. And, and that's not to say that there's numerous internships in this field. There's very, very few. Um, I, I actually started an internship program with our health system. So I have uh, an internship program going with Georgetown and Princeton University. So I have a couple of interns that um, I oversee and I, you know, I give them certain projects and it kind of gives them a foot in the door of, you know, what does this field really mean? So really looking at, um, you know, potential internship programs to see if this is, this is for you, because it's, it's, it's not for the faint heart. <laughs> that's, that's for um, and there's a lot to learn and there's always um, things that are happening every day, every minute, right? So when you're in special pathogens, you want to be aware of what's happening, not just around you, but around the world. So to give you a couple, you know, a couple of examples, like right now, as we're speaking this second, this minute, there's numerous outbreaks of, of special pathogens, if you will. So there's an Ebola virus disease outbreak in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is uh, spreading. Um, and, and we all know what's happening there, unfortunately. Uh, there's loss of fever. You know, there's uh, Middle East uh, respiratory virus. Um, there's monkeypox. There's Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever in Pakistan. So, mm-hmm. you know, these outbreaks are happening all around us. And so, you, you know, in this type of field, you want to you want to know what's happening and you want to be informed um, and, and really kind of learning as much as you can. Um, and a lot of it, unfortunately, is in real time. So you may be working on, you know, um, Legionnaires, for example, today, and that not to say that's a special pathogen, but you may be looking at Legionnaires today and seeing what's happening in New York City because, you know, there's always ongoing clusters of it. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you hear that there's an Ebola virus disease outbreak um, and then you want to pay attention to that. And then you hear that, you know, there's cases of, of Middle East respiratory um, syndrome. So we want to kind of pay attention to that. So, you know, your, your, your span of kind of trying to figure out what's happening in the world quickly kind of goes out of control, but trying to, you know, really keep a close eye of what's happening to, to be well informed. And trying to manage all that so that you have a plan if it does appear. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I hope so. I, I don't know if that plan is going to work 100%, but we certainly yeah. have to be 
safeguards in place. Uh, when we talk about really the overall hierarchy of controls, we have administrative controls in place, engineering controls in place. Mm-hmm. And- so we, we certainly have processes and, and protocols and, and, and steps in place. Um, but again, you know, with, with anything, with this job, with this field, the risk is never zero. So it doesn't matter what field you're in, the risk um, is, is never zero. You'll always have some, some risk of things not going the way you plan. Um, things, you know, 99% of the time, it may follow your process and that 1% of the time it doesn't. And that 1% leads to a global pandemic, if you will, right? So that's how things Start. Um, it really just takes one person, you know, it really does. It just really takes one person and yeah. then one person it can spread and it goes on from there. And as I mentioned, you know, things like this are really 36 hours away from a, a flight. Um, mm-hmm. And as we know diseases don't respect any boundaries. They don't respect, um, you know, the, the, in, in terms of, you know, whether it's in Africa or it's in the United States, you know, the, it, it'll inve- inevitably um, come, to our, come to our shore. So it doesn't really matter how high of a wall you want to build. You can't, get, you can't have mosquitoes. Uh, you can't keep them out, right? So mosquitoes yeah. are here that carries a, a number of infectious diseases. In fact, I would consider it the most dangerous animal in the world if you think about what type of diseases it carries. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't stop it, right? All you can do is prepare for it um, and, and respond to it and, and hope that we have um, measures in place that will contain it um, and reduce its effect. We have a question for you from the audience. It says, with pandemics, the risk comes from it going from one location to another and becoming global. How do we manage that risk or what is there to really be wary of or not do? Sure, so I don't think there's anything that we cannot do. So we can't stop air travel, right? So at any given time, you can think, you know, some of the stats that I've read is at any given time, you have 5,000 flights in the air, right? So you can't stop air travel and, and rightfully so, you know, I mean, our air travel, I mean, stopping those types of things has consequences of economic potential, huge economic potential. Um, and so I think that there are things that you can do to reduce its effect. Um, I think that there are things that uh, you can do to, to help prevent it from, um, you know, spreading any further. So there's a number of containment strategies that we can employ. Um, there's a number of things that we can do. So, you know, when it even comes to medical countermeasures, having vaccines and, and effective prophylactic treatments available. So for example, uh, the Ebola death start, which it has started, we do have a vaccine for it that is relatively, um, which is amazing, but we don't have vaccines for uh, a number of special pathogens, right? Um, and so we want to pay closer attention and, 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 and more resources to, towards things that we can do to um, you know, reduce its effect. So vaccination, treatment, um, making sure people really understand um, our own personal um, containment strategies, if you will, our own personal way of, of reducing the spread of infectious disease. And it, and, it, and it doesn't start with special pathogens, really. It starts with seasonal flu. It starts with things that we see every single day, right? So we're, we're currently in uh, seasonal flu season, um, you know, if, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, there's things that you can do, for example, getting a flu shot, right? So it's not just about you, it's about those around you. So if you don't get a flu shot and you get sick and you decide to go out grocery shopping at uh, Stop and Shop or Pathmark, whatever you do, and now you may uh, potentially spread it to other people around you. So really being cognizant of, 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 you know, your own personal things that you can do, you know, washing your hands, really the simple things that make a huge difference. So I think one of the things I, I teach a lot about in, in the courses and the people that when I give lectures is a lot of it really goes back to basics. If we can do the basics right, then I think that we'll, we'll be better off and we'll be more protected, if you will. Now you worked with, um, after working on that case with Ebola, you 
are part of the three institutions um, that are involved involved with the national goal training, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. So New York City Health and Hospitals um, is is part of NETAC, which is the National Ebola Training Education Center. It's funded by CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and AFPR, which is Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, um, part of HHS. And it's made up of three institutions, as you alluded to, um, Emory University, University of Nebraska Medical Center, and New York City Health Hospitals, Bellevue. And what all three of these institutions have in common is that they have um, successfully uh, treated confirmed Ebola patients. And so um, when I was uh, brought onto this position, I became part of NETAC. And in the role in NETAC um, as a core faculty of NETAC, and as the uh, exercise resource um, lead of, of NETAC, um, I uh, essentially um, go with um, my colleagues that are part of NETAC and we go to um, various hospitals um, around the nation and we, uh, you know, we, we assist them in ensuring um, that they're prepared for special pathogens, so Ebola and other special pathogens. We mm-hmm. also ensure that there are resources and tools um, out there that help um, yeah, prepare them. So for example, in my role as the um, exercise resource lead of NETAC, I develop tools and, and templates and resources to for hospitals to practice on. So if they want to do a, a no-notice mystery patient drill, if they want to do a full-scale exercise or any type of really drill or, or, or operations-based um, exercise, we have tools for them that are already made um, and they can go ahead and exercise. Because one of the best ways of maintaining readiness for special pathogens is um, practicing, right? And so I do a lot with with preparedness and, and, and practicing of it and maintaining readiness. So um, in my uh, in my role, I put on a number of different simulations. Um, I put on a number of different trainings, um, not only for my health system, but also part of Region 2. So uh, I'm part of Region 2, which is New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. This is kind of a designation um, that the um, United States Health and Human Services um, has given. So there's 10 regions in the United States. And mm-hmm. I'm Two, or my system is part of region two and in my position the trainings that I offer are open to region two um, so really kind of you know uh, that's, that's you know something that I do um, uh, within NETAC um, one of the simulations that I recently ran actually just last week um, it was um, we uh, we got uh, an asset which is an emergency department um, on wheels so it's essentially a tractor trailer and you go in and it's a, and a, it's a full uh, operational emergency department so as soon as you walk in you don't even think you don't, you don't even realize you're in a trailer, first of all. Um, and I did a, a simulation based on the SARS epidemic um, or the SARS um, outbreak that started in 2002 and claimed over 8,000 lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it because I wanted to make sure that we're prepared for severe respiratory diseases. So I took a lot of the lessons learned that we learned in SARS. I talked mm-hmm. to people that were involved with the SARS outbreak um, and I infused a lot of those lessons learned in this simulation. And we had our healthcare workers go in through this uh, simulation. Um, it was covered on News 12 um, last week, and there's a number of kind of uh, media, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, things coverage on coverage of it. Yeah, coverage of it exactly. Um, so that's kind of some of the things that that I do, uh, you know, currently in terms of maintaining readiness and preparedness to special pathogens. Is it hard to maintain work-life balance? Um, sometimes it is. Uh, certainly. <laughs> Uh, so I have two kids of my own. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, both boys keep me um, active and on my toes. And I think in the field that I've chosen, um, you know, it's, it's emergency management um, is kind of the field that we're in. And it's 24-7. It doesn't stop. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I do get calls sometimes um, in the middle of the night. Rarely if there's, you know, something that goes wrong um, or if someone presents and they have signs and symptoms and travel history and um, the tra- where they've traveled is an area of active outbreak of a special pathogen like 
DRC, whether it's Ebola or, you know, uh, loss of fever in Nigeria and things like that. So, I, you know, I work through it and see what's what's happening, what's going on, where they need assistance. Um, but I think I, I try to, I think I do, at least I think I do a pretty good job with balancing <laughs> work and family. Now, if you ask my kid uh, the other day, he was telling me, mommy, can you please pick me up as a walker? He just started kindergarten. And first of all, I said, you got to define what is a walker. And he said, well, still <laughs> the mommy and daddy come and pick them up at 2.30 and they go home and, and I have to go to aftercare and you pick me up at 5.30 and that's not fair. So I had to explain to them that, that, to him that mommy works and I'm sorry, I can't be there all the time. And he goes, mm-hmm. well, the other mommies don't work. Why do you have to work? You know, so, <laughs> so if you ask them, they'll probably give you a different story. <laughs> but it's hard, but we make it work. And, and I think the biggest thing is having a good support system that, mm-hmm. that is supportive and um, is, is there for you. So there's a lot of times where I do travel often or I have late meetings and my husband is there to kind of help and um, kind of fill in for my shoes, if you will, um, at yeah. times. So before we end, if you could give us one message to inspire the next generation, what would you say to them? I think really um, to look into this field, uh, it is uh, a very, you know, like a small subset, if you will. Um, and um, I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, so my laptop just uh, turned off, so I wasn't sure if it all closed. Oh, up. no worries. So, uh, my, uh, my, yeah. Uh, my advice would be, you know, talk to experts in this field, learn more about it, read books. Um, the, the the two movies now, obviously they're Hollywood movies, right? So you don't know, I think they do pretty good justice in terms of the public health response and, and the fear that is generated by these types of incidences. So, you know, looking at the movie Outbreak, looking at the movie Contagion, really looking and seeing if this is something that is of interest to you. Um, there's numerous other, you know, you know, movies and clips out there um, that, that, you know, you can access, but really seeing if this is, this is for you. I think you don't know if, if a, a field is right for you until you learn more about it, until you talk to people who are in it um, mm-hmm. and kind of their personal experience. Um, and then really pursuing degrees that, that are, they're in this type of field. So now um, given obviously uh, what's happening around the world, many institutions offer a lot of different programs um, related to public health, related to biodefense and biosecurity. So certainly, you know, read more about it, talk to people um, and then see how you can pursue this type of field. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your inspiring story and your valuable advice in this field. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course, it was our pleasure. <laughs> you were just listening to the UMentor Talk Show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the UMentor website under prior talk shows. And while you're there, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. If you want to reach out to, to today's speaker, just visit our online platform at emojioutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups or visit our UMentor website and hit the link for online platform. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. for another panel of speakers and more stories. Thank you for listening to our panel today on Facebook Live.